You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church Midtown. In Ecclesiastes, we discover that a life spent in pursuit of pleasure, achievement, and control will ultimately leave us empty-handed. Life isn't about what we can obtain, but about what we already have, and learning to receive it from God with gratitude. Welcome to Ecclesiastes, life as gift, not gain. Hear the word of the Lord. I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forests of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all those who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the man do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly as there is more gain in light than in darkness. The wise person has his eyes on his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance seeing that in the days to come, all have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are thankful this morning that you are sovereign and you reign in power over all the earth. And Father, we are thankful that you displayed that power when you raised Jesus from the dead to sit at your right hand 
and to put the earth as the footstool under his feet. And Father, we thank you that also by that same power you have given the Spirit to your people so that we would taste and see that the Lord is good and so that we would participate in that power. So Father, it is in the mighty name of Jesus Christ this morning that we ask that you would break into this moment as we hear your word preached from Ecclesiastes and as we are reminded of the fact that life often seems meaningless and vain, remind us that Jesus gives us purpose, gives us life, and gives us hope. So, Father, we pray that we would taste that hope even as we hear the Word of God preached. And so help me to give your people a word this morning that would lift them up and help them to trust you and to keep your commands and to follow you faithfully until the end. Even in the midst of a fallen world that is broken and seems futile. We ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In Pastor Jamal's first sermon last week, in our sermon series on Ecclesiastes, we learned that the book of Ecclesiastes begins with the words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And we also learned that Ecclesiastes is part of the Bible known as wisdom. Similar to the book of Proverbs and the book of Job, a primary theme in wisdom is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. In biblical wisdom tradition, fearing God and keeping his commands are the most foundational elements of a wise pattern of life lived in order to please God. The fear of the Lord in biblical wisdom should not paralyze us, but it moves us to be faithful to God, to love him, to enjoy him, and to worship him. The fear of the Lord in, in biblical tradition should move us to action as we seek to live in honor of our God who sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and to raise him from the dead. I think this is why Ecclesiastes emphatically ends with these words in chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So it's important, I think, as we hear sermons from Ecclesiastes 
in the coming weeks to remind ourselves that Solomon is not trying to depress us by his words, but instead he is dropping wisdom on us to help us be wise and faithful to God in a sinful and unpredictable world. He is reminding us to fear God and to keep his commands, to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, even though life often seems meaningless and vain and empty. And even though life is vain and meaningless and empty, when God is not at the center of our lives. Now, for those of you who are new, this is my introduction. We'll get to the text in a moment. I tend to have long introductions. I think the basic message in the book of Ecclesiastes is this. Life often seems meaningless and empty, but the people of God should still fear God and keep his commandments. As Christians, we do these things fear God and keep his commands by faithfully following Jesus until the end of our lives because he is the personification of wisdom. He is the greater Solomon. He is the perfect wise man. He is the one who came to die on the cross for our sins, to absorb the wrath of God for our sins, to redeem us from the curse of the law, to make us part of the people of God, to save us from God's wrath, and to give us the new heavens and the new earth. Solomon begins his sermon in chapter 1, verse 2, by explaining vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. He tells us this meaningless vanity is comprehensive. It touches every area of life, from the vanity of work to the vanity of the cycles of life. According to chapter 1, verse 13, Solomon says he devoted himself to seek and search out by wisdom all things under heaven. And as a result, he concluded that every pursuit seems meaningless and vain. I'll give you a few examples, tracing this idea throughout the book. First, in chapter 2, verses 1 through 11, Solomon says the basic pleasures of life seem meaningless. In chapter 2, verses 12 through 17, he says living wisely seems meaningless. For what happens to the foolish also happens to the wise. Chapter 2, verses 18 through 26, he says, work seems meaningless because the one who labors and toils must leave everything for which he has toiled to someone else. But Solomon does not know whether that person will be a fool or wise. Chapter 5 and 6, he says, wealth and honor seem meaningless because those with wealth and honor die just as those without them die. 
the poor and the rich, both will be put in a casket and dropped into the ground. In chapter 7, Solomon says, the way of the foolish and at times the way of the righteous seem meaningless because good things happen to unrighteous and wicked people and bad things happen to righteous people. And for me, that's one of the most puzzling things about life, that the righteous suffer often, but the wicked, they prosper. Solomon says it makes life seem vain. He further says in chapter 3, the righteous and the wicked receive the same judgment. Namely, they both die. In chapter 9, he says life itself is vanity since everyone dies. Now, I haven't come to depress you this morning, okay? The, the, the sermon gets more encouraging right here. However, chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, the, the preacher says this, and, and notice how I keep pointing you to the end of the book because the end of the book is where the, I think the primary punch of the book is. That's, that's the message of the book. Life is broken, Solomon says. It seems vain and, and meaningless, but chapter 12, verses 13 and 14, fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of mankind. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Brothers and sisters, life often seems meaningless and vain, but we as the people of God should still be a people characterized by our love for God, our faithfulness to God. We should not be careless, therefore, or reckless with our words or our actions with our work or with our lives. But we should be slow to speak and quick to listen, seeking to live our lives, walking in the path of wisdom and walking on the narrow and difficult path of following Jesus that leads to life. Even though often life seems vain. So two truths from Ecclesiastes 2, verses 1 through 17 this morning. First truth is this. Pursuing basic pleasures of life may seem meaningless, may seem pointless, but fear God and keep his commands still. In verse 1, notice the preacher says in chapter 2, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But then he admits that this is also vanity. Now in chapter 2, verses 2 through 11, he's going to give us a series of things that you might think are enjoyable. But he reduces them to futility. And he says that his laughter and pleasure or joy, that wine and the great works of his hands, his houses and vineyards, 
his pools, his male and female slaves, his great possessions and flocks, his silver and gold and the treasures of kings and and provinces, his singers, his many concubines, his fame, his wisdom and the toil of his hands all seem futile and vain. But I love verse 11. Notice in verse 11, he says, Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. I love that verse. I told some folks recently, I'm an Ecclesiastes kind of Christian. We're all going to die, but there's resurrection. This is an interesting verse because in verse 10, the preacher says his work was meaningful and profitable and brought him the reward of pleasure. But in verse 11, he says it's basically vain. And I think his point is, and this is a very important word this morning, his work will not bring him eternal life. His work will not bring him immortality. It won't bring him ultimate satisfaction because he works hard, but he's going to die. That's his reality. No matter how hard you work and no matter how good at the work you are at the work that you do, it is not enough to give you eternal life resurrection, or immortality. Now, I think this is a correct reading of the text because in verses 12 through 17, the preacher mentions the certainty of death. Y'all still with me this morning? And that his fate would be the same as the unrighteous in that they both die. And in that they both would be forgotten once they died. And then in verses 18 through 26, the preacher talks about the futility of his work because when he dies, those who live after him will enjoy the fruit of his labor. According to verse 19, the preacher does not know whether the person who enjoys the fruit of his labor will be wise or a fool after he dies. Brothers and sisters, life often seems futile, doesn't it? Often seems without meaning. It often seems unjust and unfair. But we must continue to follow Jesus. We must continue to believe by faith that God in Christ has promised to fulfill all of his redemptive promises for his people and for the world. We must continue to live our lives to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. Do you enjoy God this morning? Do you enjoy God? Life seems vain. But the joy of the Lord lasts forever. We should continue to live our lives for the pleasure of our Lord, 
Do not let the futility of life cause you to forget that God is guiding, upholding, sustaining all history for his purposes and for our good. Continue to do your work, whether inside the home or outside of the home, unto the Lord. No matter how ordinary or mundane it is, continue to raise your children unto the Lord. Continue to be good and responsible citizens unto the Lord. Continue to have your words seasoned with salt unto the Lord. Continue to serve this church faithfully unto the Lord. Continue to serve your CG faithfully. Continue to be faithful to discipleship unto the Lord. Continue to be good stewards of your marriages unto the Lord. Continue to steward your singleness well unto the Lord. Continue to do the spiritual disciplines of Bible study and prayer and sharing your faith with unbelievers unto the Lord. Even when doing those things seems meaningless and without purpose because God wants us to obey him. Can I get a witness this morning? He wants us to honor him. He wants us to worship him, to enjoy him in the ordinary, everyday, mundane rhythms of life. Even when we cannot make sense of the circumstances around us, as we live in a world that increasingly demonstrates it lacks wisdom. Now, notice I keep saying wisdom. I didn't say education. There are educated fools in this world, right? In the Bible, as you know, wisdom is connected with knowing God, fearing God, obeying God, and foolishness is the one who says in his heart, there is no God. Yes, we do have some Christians who are acting like a bunch of fools today. But the wise way of life for the people of God is a life of faithful obedience to Jesus. That's what separates us in part from the wicked. Those of us who are walking the narrow and difficult path of discipleship that leads to life, those who are not standing in the path of the wicked or sitting in the seat of scoffers, those of us who are righteous, we're righteous because of what God has done for us in Jesus and because we're obeying him. So even though life can seem futile, fear God and keep his commands. Second truth, living wisely and walking faithfully in the fear of the Lord may seem meaningless because both the foolish and the wise die. But live wisely, fear God, and keep his commands anyway. Because that's how you glorify God. In chapter 1, remember from last week, 
verses 16 through 18, the preacher suggests that wisdom is a mixed blessing. In chapter 1, verse 16, he says, he has experienced more wisdom and knowledge than anyone. And then in verse 17, he says, he applied his heart to know wisdom, madness, and folly. But then he admits that, that this is striving after the wind. In chapter 2, verse 13, the preacher says, there is more gain in wisdom than in foolishness. But in chapter 1, verse 18, the preacher says, wisdom increases vexation. I love that word, vexation and sorrow. Isn't that true? The more you know often leads to more sorrow. The more you grow in wisdom may lead to more pain. Let me give you an example. Growing in wisdom gives you a greater understanding of your own sin. And an awareness of our own sin will lead to sorrow. Now, godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that's a good thing. But here's my point. I don't like being aware of my sin. Did you? <laughs> it's painful. But as we grow in wisdom, as we grow in the fear of God, as we grow strong in the scriptures, as we grow strong in the, in the strength of the Lord, we grow in wisdom. And as we grow in wisdom, our sorrow may increase. So says the preacher. Wisdom is desirable and it is good and it's right. But the preacher says it will also lead to great sorrow. Then in verse 12, the preacher says he turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. And as he pondered what the man could do who would follow the king, he admits that he would only do what the king has already done since life is a cycle. Same things keep happening over and over again. You live, you work, you die. It's basically what the preacher is getting at. Verses 13 and 14, he compares wisdom to light and folly to darkness. And he states that the wise person, the one who fears God, has his eyes in his head. I love that imagery. You see that imagery? Those who are wise, they see. But the fool walks in darkness. However, in verses 15 and 16, the preacher sees vanity and wisdom because wisdom alone does not give immortality to those who possess it. That is, the preacher says, both the wise and the fool will die and, get this, will be forgotten. Jesus tarries 200, 300 years from now, maybe sooner, we'll all be forgotten. And the preacher gives this word in verses 15 through 17. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. 
So he says, I hated my life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me for all is vanity and striving after the wind. Brothers and sisters, pursuing basic pleasures of life may seem meaningless now. And living wisely and faithfully in the fear of the Lord may seem meaningless now. Because both the wise and the fool, they die. And there are times, the longer we live, the more we might question our purpose and the meaning of our lives when things simply don't make sense to us or when no matter how hard we work or how hard we pray or when we do the right things, things simply won't always turn out the way we want. This month I turned 43 years old and the window of my life is closing. That's true for all of us, isn't it? But the older we get, the window is closing. And we begin to ask ourselves, have I made a difference? Am I making an impact? What's my purpose? And sometimes when you live your lives the right way, you still have those questions. We will experience adversity even when we do what is right or maybe because we do what is right. Think of all the faithful fathers and mothers who raise their children to love Jesus, but they never came to faith in Christ. That happens. Think of all those folks who work hard and still can't get ahead in life. And they're doing the right things. They're living the right way. But adversity still comes. But hear the words of the preacher. Chapter 12, verses 13 and 14. What's the responsibility that you have when life does not give you what you want? I've shared this before. My wife and I, we lost two babies. whom we deeply wanted to be parents of. But the Lord, for reasons that we'll never know, perhaps, saw fit to give us the joy of pregnancy only to give us the sorrow of grief. So the question is, what do you do when you do all the right things? And life still hands you adversity. You know what you do? You do what the preacher says. Not, not this preacher, but Solomon. Well, this preacher too, because I'm talking about Solomon. You fear God. <laughs> and you obey him anyway, right? Now, the 9 a.m. was much better at call and response than you are right now. So I'll give you a second chance. Right? Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14. The end of the matter... All has been heard. 
Fear God and keep his commands. For this is the whole duty of man, that I'm going to get everything I want in life. It's not the whole duty of mankind. Yes, we work hard. Hear that. I love work. Yes, we work hard. Yes, we make wise decisions. Yes, we study hard. Yes, we take care of ourselves. We eat healthy and sleep and exercise and do the kinds of things that will give us a long and fruitful and healthy, productive life. Yes, and amen to all that. But the preacher says, here's the whole duty of mankind. To fear God and keep his commandments. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. Brothers and sisters, hear me this morning. Continue to live in faithful obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord, until the end of your lives, because he is the personification of wisdom. He is the greater Solomon who has come to die for our sins and to make us part of the people of God and to give us an inheritance of the new heavens and the new earth. Continue to love God, to walk in the power of the Spirit, to love one another, and to love your neighbors as yourselves. No matter, no matter how meaningless life appears to be, and when there's no explanation or neither a rhyme nor a reason why things happen the way that they do, keep hoping in the gospel. Keep living faithfully for Jesus. Keep being, here it is, gritty disciple makers in the city because he is the greater Solomon. He is the wisest preacher. We may live our entire lives with no answers. And by the way, I would encourage you, beware of those preachers who say they have all the answers. We have some answers to some questions. But life is complex, isn't it? I, spent, I graduated in high school in 1996. I spent 11 and a half years in higher education studying. And I've been teaching since 2008. And I still have many questions about God, life, and the Bible, for which I don't yet have any answers. And I'm going to die taking some questions with me to the grave. Now, the most fundamental questions, there are answers for, right? Some of those answers I'm trying to give you this morning. But the word of the Lord is, is that when the Lord, for some reason, chooses to keep the secret things to himself and won't reveal them to us, like why bad things happen to good people, Continue to trust in him, in him. Continue to follow him. Continue to bring your brokenness, your pain, your doubts, your questions to Jesus, knowing that Jesus will shepherd you well and he will wipe away. There's a promise, isn't there? He will wipe away every tear in the new heavens and the new earth. There's the promise at every single funeral, there's resurrection coming, right? There's the promise that sin and death 
do not have the final word. There's the promise that vanity of vanities will not always be vanity, right? There is life that exploded through that grave on Sunday morning because Jesus conquered the power of sin, death, hell, and the grave. God raised him from the dead, and he's given us his spirit. If you are a follower of Christ, you have the spirit, and we can live in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of pain, with joy and the hope of the resurrection and the certainty that we too shall live in Christ. So brothers and sisters, life often seems futile and meaningless. But keep hoping in Jesus because although we sow weeping, we will be joyful because of the cross and the resurrection. We'll reap with joy. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray this morning that this word would take root in our hearts. And Father, we ask that by the power of your spirit, that you would please fill us this morning. Many of us are weary and we're burdened and we're broken today. And Father, meet us in that brokenness. Help us to fix our eyes on Jesus and give us the kind of satisfaction in Christ that can only be explained by a work of your spirit. So Lord, do it, we pray, even now. In Jesus' name, amen. Each Lord's Day at Midtown, we celebrate the Lord's Supper. And by your seat, there's a cup of juice and a wafer. Before you partake, let me briefly share with you what this meal represents. First of all, this, this meal is for believers. It's for those who are, are trusting in Jesus by faith today. So, so if you're not a Christian this morning, hear me carefully. This meal is not for you. If you're not a Christian, this is not for you. But we would love to talk with you about turning from your sin and giving your life to Jesus and beginning the narrow and difficult path of discipleship that leads to life and what it would then mean for you to participate in this meal at a later time. But right now, if you're not a believer, this is not for you. For, for believers, remember on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared some bread with his disciples and he broke it. And he says, this broken bread represents my broken body. Do this in remembrance of me, take and eat. And in the same way, he participated in some wine with his disciples. And he said that this wine represents the blood of the new covenant, which will be shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me, take and drink. Hi, I'm Jamal Williams, lead pastor of Sojourn in Midtown. Thanks for listening. At Midtown, we value gospel-centeredness, biblical faithfulness, transformative relationships, diverse fellowship, creativity in the arts, and relentless mission. 
For more sermons, info about our church, visit sojournchurch.com slash midtown.